Welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's about the Bills and the beer. Now, here's your host, John Murphy. Well, hi there, and welcome to another installment of Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. I'm John Murphy. I'm the play-by-play voice of the Buffalo Bills, and as you might expect on this podcast, we talk about the Bills and the beer. The Bills, the Buffalo Bills, the top team in the AFC East, maybe the top team in the American Football Conference. We'll discuss that a little bit. The beer is uh, made by Sullivan's Brewing Company from Kilkenny, Ireland. Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. We'll cover both the Bills and the beer on today's installment of the podcast. We are going to talk with a football observer, Mike Janitti. He is co-founder and editor of SpotTrack.com, S-P-O-T-R-A-C.com. SpotTrack covers the business of the NFL. They deal with NFL team and player contracts. Uh, the salary cap, NFL business in general. Mike also deals with NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, and other sports on SpotTrack. But we're going to focus on the NFL with Mike Giannitti of SpotTrack.com. A great guest. I love talking with Mike Giannitti about the dollars and cents of the NFL. Also on today's podcast, we're going to talk with a man who knows dollars and cents and knows the restaurant and tavern business. He is the co-owner of Winking Lizard Taverns in the state of Ohio. They've got about a dozen or more taverns scattered throughout the state of Ohio. We'll talk with John Lane about the labor situation with the bar and tavern business, the restaurant business, how it affects the price you pay at the uh, tavern. We'll talk with John Lane from Winking Lizards on today's podcast. We're going to talk about the Buffalo Bills, though. Four and two right now. Four and two at the uh, break for the uh, bye week and ready to get back going again this week with a home game against the Miami Dolphins. we got to kind of recap what happened in their last game, the loss at Tennessee to the Titans. And, of course, the big play, the fourth and one at the two-yard line. The Bills right there in position to tie or win. Fourth down, one yard to go for a first down, two yards to go to the end zone. They do not try a field goal. They went for the first down or the touchdown. They did not get it. Josh Allen slipped and was stopped at the, well, about half yard short of the first down mark. And, look, I get it. I understand it. I appreciate the boldness of the move by Sean McDermott to go for the touchdown at that point. 22 seconds left going for the touchdown. I appreciate it. I get it. I understand it. Got to say, I would have kicked a field goal. I would have taken my chances in overtime. I think back to what the Hall of Fame uh, coach, Marv Levy, used to say a lot. He said, before you win a game, you have to make sure you don't lose the game. And I think that comes into play in this situation. Before you can... Uh, go ahead and win, which everybody wants to do. Make sure you don't lose it. And by going for it on fourth and one, as likely as that uh, situation might have been, it didn't work. And the Bills lost instantly. They didn't have a chance to win anymore. In overtime, yeah, the Titans may have scored first. People say, well, the Titans were scoring on every possession. They scored on three of their four second half possessions. They may have gotten the kickoff in the second half and scored. But the Bills, maybe they win the toss. The Bills scored on two of their four possessions in the second half. They may have been able to score first. They really could have. Um, The kicker is an issue, I believe. Randy Bullock, the kicker for the Titans, got hurt on the 101-yard kickoff return for a touchdown that Isaiah McKenzie had. Randy Bullock got blasted by one of the Bills, suffered a shoulder injury, came off the field favoring his shoulder. Uh, During the uh, minute or two it took for them to get ready for the overtime, the Titans were warming up their punter to act as their place kicker. They may have had a punter trying to kick field goals in overtime. That, I believe, uh, could have been a factor in the game. I would have kicked a field goal. I would have extended the game. But again, I understand Sean McDermott's decision 
to go for the touchdown based on what he's seen from his team, based on the way they play in all season. It's not a hanging defense. I just would have done it a little bit differently. So at 4-2, and two, the Bills at the bye. And look, you got to say, I think the Bills are much better than I expected they would be. Much better than they were last year, on defense especially. They're still ranked number one in the league on defense, um, which is shocking. Even after the loss and giving up 34 points to the Titans, they are the number one ranked defense in the league. They are great at getting takeaways. Um, it's amazing. It's a, it's a puzzle how that good defense allowed 34 points scored against it, how they gave up all those yardage, all that yardage to the Tennessee Titans uh, a week ago Monday. The Bills are on offense better at running the ball than they were a year ago. Combination of Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. Emmanuel Sanders is an upgrade over John Brown. Dawson Knox, the tight end, having a breakout year before he broke his hand. He's going to be out about three weeks. Uh, I think he'll miss some valuable development time. Look, the Bills are better than they thought they would. Uh, I would be. And I think uh, they remain the team to beat in the AFC. Let's talk about some of the standouts through the first six weeks for the Buffalo Bills. Let's start with Emmanuel Sanders, who I mentioned ago. He's got production already, right? 24 catches, a number for a touchdown. Best thing about Emmanuel Sanders, I think, he can run all sorts of routes. He's not just a deep route guy. He's a great route runner, can get open on a variety of, uh, in a variety of ways. I think he demonstrates leadership capabilities. He seems to love playing on this roster. He seems to really like playing in the city of Buffalo, too. His veteran experience, his playoff experience, I think is going to be a big factor for the Bills as the Bills move into playoffs uh, later on this year. Uh, Micah Hyde has been a standout, to my mind, for the Bills this year. Three interceptions, one of them returned for a touchdown against Kansas City. Um, he and Jordan Poyer have always been great cover guys. They disguise coverages. They confound opponents. I think they are the best safety tandem in the league, and I think Micah Hyde has been a, a really good standout for the Bills and an improvement over last year. And, of course, Josh Allen. Uh, this is like a broken record. Josh seems to improve every year. I think this year Josh has made more improvement in the mental side of his game. He's in his fourth year in the league, fourth year in Brian Dable's system. It allows Dable to be flexible in formations and personnel. Bills uh, have a huge variety of looks they show on offense, which really presents challenges to opponents and their defenses. I believe that's a function of Josh Allen's familiarity with the system. That's how he has improved over last year. I think he's a big upgrade. So who needs to step up for the Bills? Well, not many, right? The Bills are a really good Super Bowl-caliber team. Stepping up, I don't know, where would you go? Offensive line? Well, it's a new group, right? Three games ago, the Bills put in a couple of new starters, rookie Spencer Brown at right tackle, and an old starter, veteran Dale Williams, moving in to play right guard from right tackle. They're just getting going now. They look okay. There is room for improvement, especially from Deion Dawkins, who was slow to get started this year after his bout with COVID. I think the offensive line bears watching. They can get better there. And the defensive line, I think they need uh, more consistent play from Ed Oliver, who's had good moments and some not as good moments, and Harrison Phillips, uh, Phillips, uh, I think, uh, did not play in three games. The Bills could use him as a regular part of their defensive line rotation. But it's a little bit nitpicky. I think there are not many areas where the Bills could improve. I think they are a Super Bowl caliber team. I really do. They should roll the Dolphins this week. Dolphins have lost six straight. They knocked Tua Tungo-Vailoa out of action. The Bills did back in week two. He is back now. Tua is back now. But he may be looking over his shoulder. Reports that uh, Miami might trade for Deshaun Watson. We'll follow that throughout the week. Miami's defense has really totally underperformed this year. They're ranked 31st in the NFL. There's too much money spent on that defense and too many standouts on their defense for that to happen. 
The Bills, I think, should roll Miami and maybe roll through the next couple of games. The Bills lost close ones already to Pittsburgh and Tennessee, but they're still in good shape and yet a long way to go in this season, 11 games. They've got to get to 13 or 14 wins, meaning they've got to win, what, 9 or 10 of their last 11 games. And to do that, they need to do that to lock down home field advantage in the playoffs. And that what I think that's what I think should be the goal for the Bills. Get home field at home, Highmark Stadium, Orchard Park, throughout the month of January for the playoffs and take them right into the Super Bowl. That to me is the goal for the Buffalo Bills. Those are my thoughts on the Bills. We're going to talk a little bit more about football in a moment. Mike Giannitti, co-founder of SpotTrack.com. They cover NFL business, team and owner player contracts. Mike Giannitti joins us when Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff continues. The business of the NFL. Our next guest is an expert on that. He is co-founder and editor of the website SpotTrack.com, S-P-O-T-R-A-C.com. He covers NFL team and uh, player contracts, uh, evaluates uh, the salary cap. And it's not just the NFL, also the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NHL, and other sports. He lives right in Orchard Park where I live. Mike Giannitti joins us. Mike, how are you doing? Doing well, John. Appreciate being back, man. Thanks for coming on again with us. Uh, NFL owners uh, meeting this week, I think today and tomorrow at least. Uh, how's the business of the NFL doing? The TV contracts are settled. You would think that things are pretty uh, sedate, pretty settled in, in the world of NFL business these days. I would think so. Like it's, you know, coming on the trade deadline here, I would assume that the Watson stuff has to be included a little bit because the NFL hasn't really taken a stance there. Um, the COVID protocols, I would imagine, are being addressed just to, just to maybe update as necessary there. Um, look, stadium talks, that's probably ongoing for the, with a, a few teams, possibly even expansion to uh, you know, other countries. I know that's been a big discussion for the past five, 10 years, and, and the London stuff seems to be working. So I don't think from a, from a gameplay standpoint, there's too much to really talk about right now. I think it's a lot of behind the scenes. How do we keep up with our our gates and things like that as we get out of this pandemic and uh, push towards the big TV contracts. I was telling you a minute ago about an item I came across a week or so ago about uh, NFL owners meeting a couple of weeks ago, at which time the, the league, the commissioner's office sort of called out about a half dozen teams, Washington and a couple of others, the jets for underperforming financially, not getting the revenue that they thought they should. It's kind of a first and it kind of, I think shocked some of the owners who've never had that happen before. Uh, how can it be that some of those big market teams underperform? What do you think is going on there? Yeah, I mean, the teams you referenced there, there's a lot of uh, issues on the field, too. So, And that's generally how it works in the NFL. And look, as a baseball guy, which I am, I appreciate the heck out of this because, you know, you've got half of Major League Baseball who just flat out gives up either during the offseason or, you know, by June for a lot of this. And, and the fans kind of react to that with, with their lack of attendance, their lack of, of visibility. So, I like that the NFL is trying to stay king with this and that they're holding accountability for this. But, you know, in terms of getting your butts in the seat, concessions and parking and that stuff, you've got a lot of uh, a lot of fans that are pushing against that, unfortunately. So I think they're maybe getting in front of this now because they know that this is going to be a problem for the next five, 10 years with all of sports. So how can they address this right now? Getting gambling, getting kiosks, getting things like that and, and inside these stadiums. Um, I, I just appreciate the accountability more than anything right now. How is it going to affect all, all sports? What do you think is looming over the horizon? Look, I don't know about you, but I appreciate sitting on my couch watching sports more than anything. And I think <laughs> a lot of people know that. And, and, you know, you have to be, you have to build in attractions now to get people in there. And when the more and more States that, that have online gambling, when there's apps available, it's just less incentive to be inside those stadiums. So I think, 
Accountability right now is big. Um, at the threat of expansion, <laughs> right? The threat of relocation, which the NFL has not been shy about. I think Jerry Jones just said something yesterday about that that triggered the, the Buffalo media even again with Toronto. The, they're not shy about that. So I think if you're underperforming at any point in time, it's probably going to be a big deal for the NFL because they have to compete against the NBA and to some degree, Major League Baseball right now with these postseason. I want to talk to you about the local team, the Buffalo Bills, a little bit. Let's start with uh, Josh Allen. Three months ago, the Bills signed him to a six-year extension, $258 million, Runs its, uh, The contract really kicks in in 2023, doesn't it? Uh, they, they almost won't feel the contract this year or next, right? Correct. It's just similar to the Mahomes deal in that regard, where the Mahomes money hasn't really kicked in yet, cash or cap. Um, and it gives Buffalo flexibility over these next two years to continue to, con- to contend with their contracts, with their current deals, and certainly add free agent pieces as necessary. But yeah, by 2023, we should see a big influx in, in salary cap from the league because of those TV contracts. The Bills should be ready to handle $40 million cap hits for Josh Allen and, and, and maybe near that for Stefan Diggs and a couple of defensive players as, as it may get to it. But it's structured well for how the NFL is built right now. It's structured for how the, how the Bills' contention window currently exists. And, uh, you know, they're going to feel some pain, but as long as Josh Allen's playing well, nothing matters. <laughs> One way to, I guess, is this the right way to look at it, to think they got to win this year or next because they won't be able to afford some of the players that they'll need after, you know, 2023? It's a fair assessment. I think it's the right way to look at it. Anybody thinking five years with any kind of sports franchise right now is probably old school. You know, you're in a two to three year window once you start to contend. And, you know, that's why we're seeing, I think, the Chiefs maybe take a step back here. They weren't able to pay properly for that defense and maybe for some of those offensive weapons to keep them in town. And look what happens. They're a middle-of-the-road team right now, just two years removed from a Super Bowl. So it's it's unrealistic to think the Bills should be considering three, four, five-year windows. And Josh Allen's contract kind of reflects that it's two years and nothing right now. There's There are ways to alleviate the, the hit, right? Uh, can you talk about some of those? As you said, the first of all, the TV revenue should go up, but you can also maybe adjust Josh's contract in 2023, right? There are ways to not get around the money that's coming down the pike, but at least uh, make it easier to swallow. It's a given. Uh, the, his third year salary is almost $28 million. So to me, that's a major red, f- red flag that it's going to be restructured. So the cap hit in 2023 will be less, but that just means you're pushing it down the line. So there's always a danger in doing that. We're seeing that in Atlanta right now. Matt Ryan's contract has been restructured four times. So Atlanta has done this continually to try to keep that roster active and full. But, you know, like I said, it goes back to Josh Allen's performance. As long as he's doing fine, they have no trouble restructuring their positions, you know, positions of prime. That, that will include Tredavious White, Josh Allen, you know, a Stefan Diggs deal if it gets to that. Um, what you don't want to be doing is restructuring everybody. And we have teams that do that kind of regularly. And it, unfortunately, it co- comes to bite them in the you-know-where in, in situations like cap drops this year or just, you know, bad situations from a financial standpoint. Oh, and you said it can't, you can't run into problems. Uh, what kind of problems can you run into if you uh, always restructure Josh Allen's contract in, in particular? Yeah, you're going to get yourself to, to where you just can't get out of it. You know, you just can't get out of it. So if they have to, right now, they've done a very good job, even with the Allen deal, of giving themselves two to three outs in, in three years. You know, the Mahomes contract, and I'll keep references because it's kind of a unicorn, there's no out. And there's absolutely no out with that. The Chiefs are basically at his, his bounty right now whenever he wants to get out of that contract. They don't have a team out, but the Bills do. And right now that's after 2025, looking at this current structure. So you restructure 2023. Now that outline probably pushes out a year to 2026. You're basically just giving yourself less flexibility 
over through the middle of this contract, which again, shouldn't be a problem at the quarterback position for Allen, but you want to, you want to control that with as many contracts as possible. And Brandon Bean has been very against restructuring uh, over his, his five-year tenure here. So I do believe that it won't be, we're just going to do it to do it. It's going to be a, on a need basis. If they are looking to acquire somebody by a free agency or trade, and they have to make one thing happen for another. Like like you, I'm a native Western New Yorker. Can we both just take a deep breath and, and acknowledge how good it feels to have a team that is forward-thinking, that that has this kind of sorted out? They don't have all the answers, but they're certainly on the right track. Would you agree? Oh, I think they're leading the way right now. I think they were on the right track two years ago, John, and it's got to a point where Brandon Means made so many good decisions and so many smart contract structures based on you know the nerdy stuff that I follow. <laughs> That they are now the forefront. They are they are what teams are modeling after. Um, how they acquired their their positions, when they got the quarterback, how they got the quarterback. Right? They didn't yep. trade up to number two or three to do it. There's a couple of teams kind of looking at that situation right now. I just think there there were so many home runs, and there was risk with it, of course. But there were so many home run decisions over the past three to four years with how this team is built that you can't help but appreciate the fact that they're stable. Right? Yeah. There's so much. I mean, there was so much. You know, many players brought back or extended last year. There was so much stability. Um, you know, we joked about it offline. The fact that the Bills and Sabres are both relevant now, be it two weeks into hockey, it's it's weird to be a Bills fan or, or a Buffalo fan right now. <laughs> not used to it. The guys of our generation oh, not, not even, not even a little bit. <laughs> One thing, uh, SpotTrack, I found on the website, SpotTrack.com, your true value statistics, you evaluate the best value on a team-by-team basis. You've got the Bills ranked number six. Tell us about that stat. What does it measure and uh, why the Bills might be ranked number six on that? Sure. So we take every player and obviously every player has a salary. Every player has statistics, whether it's advanced metrics or just basic statistics. And we kind of do some algorithm work and and evaluate what those statistics mean versus how they're being paid at their particular position. So how is Josh Allen in terms of value at at 43 million a year versus how is he doing uh, statistically speaking? And then we add up all those, those players ratings in terms of our true value stats and then we get a team stat. So what is the, the Bills payroll versus how are their players being valued in terms of best value? The Bills, are, the Bills being six says something because this isn't just a bunch of rookie contracts anymore. You've got a lot of extensions, a lot of big extensions to, in these power positions. And for the most part, they're still getting banged for buck, which is a really good way to look at it for these contending teams. Generally speaking, you're going to see your contenders either in the middle or the, or the lower half of these value rankings because they're overpaying to keep themselves together. This is just another example of what I'm talking about with Brandon Bean. I don't think in any regard, anywhere on this roster, he's overpaying. I think Milano's a good deal. I, I always thought Tredavious White's contract was a good deal. And I think Josh Allen's is probably exactly where it was supposed to be. You know, there's no reason to go up to Mahomes' number. There was no reason to sit, you know, into the 30s and try to nickel and dime him. It's, it's probably the right price for the player right now. So you're seeing value in a lot of spots. And I think at the quarterback position, you're seeing a very fair, balanced contract. One metric, I think I found it on that chart, was the the average age of the roster. And the Bills are not as young as many people might think. They're they're not old, but they're they're kind of a mature team, aren't they? They've got some older players, and and they seem to, as you say, they seem to be paying them right. No question. If you think about the secondary alone, right, that was all basically acquired from free agency, you know, with the exception of White. And those plays, players are aging, but they're certainly not, you know, too old to, to make an impact on the field. That's one of the one of the values you get or one of the opportunities you get when you hit on so many draft picks is you then get to go and plug and play f- with free agency or, or via the trade veterans, savvy veterans. 
versus we have to build our team. We, we can't get anybody to come here. We have to just pluck, you know, older players off free agency because they're, they're kind of the only players we can get right now. There was a long stretch where that was the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. You know, you couldn't covet the big free agents, the younger free agents, even with big dollars. You had to go after older players who were just kind of looking to keep their careers alive. That's not what these bills are. These Every veteran on this roster is there for a reason, has a specific role. And generally, they're not being paid, you know, too much money. They just want to be here for this ride. Mike Giannini from Track with us. Mike, uh, I read a tweet that you wrote. You know, the Jets went out and signed Joe Flacco, brought him back, actually, the, the veteran quarterback. You mentioned you were baffled that they had to do that. They didn't have a really a viable backup quarterback once their starter, the rookie, got hurt, huh? No, I was... It's one of the things you look at when you assess the offseason heading into the regular season is, you know, who didn't do enough, who didn't make the right decisions. And that's sort of a a fun game I get to play (laughs) with Zach Wilson. I wasn't worried about him as a draft pick because I do think the the talent is there, you know, from a roster standpoint, they were taking big strides forward. But, you know, I love to look at QB twos. It's one of my favorite things to do because it's been such a vital position over the past five, six years with so much turnover going towards the rookie quarterback with the rookie wage scale. It's But how teams handle that QB2 role has been so different. And for a lot of positions, for a lot of teams, it's been a deficiency. And when you look at what the Bills did, right, bringing in maybe the best available QB2 possible on a good contract, you know, not a, not a, a, a bare bones contract, but, you know, Mitchell Trubisky sees this as an opportunity to work with a, an offensive coordinator who has a lot of clout right now in, in a system that is, you know, raising a lot of eyebrows. So he gets to learn and educate himself. And oh, by the way, he gets to keep his name relevant on a good contending team. So the Bills took that route, which I loved. I thought it was a home run. The Jets bring in, you know, a high draft pick who's going to need help everywhere. And all he had to do was bring in any savvy veteran, you know, and I'm not talking about a player who's going to, who's going to win ball games. I don't think the Jets had any inkling that they needed to sign a QB two to go and win for them. They needed somebody to just stand there, work with this kid, this offseason, just kind of build a relationship with this kid and make it, make his life better in any way possible. <laughs> and why Mike White can probably play some football. He's not doing that for Zach Wilson. So that's what I'm speaking to when I'm saying it's baffling yeah. that there's not a veteran quarterback on this roster to at least give this kid a, a better opportunity. Another quarterback I want to uh, ask you about uh, Deshaun uh, Watson and Houston, the trade deadline approaches. It'll be next Tuesday. It, that'll be a very complicated transaction, won't it? And it's more than just a salary cap that I have to be taken into consideration. It's, you know, what becomes of his legal issues, right? Whoever trades for him is going to have to almost uh, factor in that this guy, hey, he might not be available to us for what, a month, six weeks, maybe the rest of the year. Yeah, there's that. There's also the fact that he has a no trade clause, which is kind of unbelievable because that's so, that's a unicorn in the NFL as it is. You know, that's something Tom Brady's never had in his career. So, um, you know, the fact that he gets to choose, the fact that the NFL has kind of been sitting on their hands with this, which I, I do understand, you know, Houston is kind of, let them off the hook with this by basically benching him, you know, voluntarily. You're right though. Uh, When he does move, if he does move, if it's Miami, if it's Carolina, if it's Philadelphia, one of these teams that has been involved, the NFL is going to have to step in and say, look, we're going to sit him down for the rest of the year on this commissioner's list. And and then we're going to deal with things after his February deposition goes through and we have more clarity on, on how that works. So I think any team, and there, there's certainly been wink-wink discussions happening between these teams and the NFL, whether or not any information's come out is certainly not going to be disclosed. But, um, you know, I think any team that's looking to acquire him is doing so for the future, not for 2021. And that's why the teams that are being talked about see it still make sense. You know, Deshaun Watson in the middle of 2022 is still better than most of these, these teams' options at the quarterback position right now. 
One more Bills issue to kind of finish up with, and that's uh, the stadium discussions. The the Bills are a little bit down the road now in planning a, a stadium. Um, I find it interesting, and it, maybe I'm being naive here, but the usual complaints about Buffalo as a small market, and we can't afford this, we can't afford that. They don't seem to be. They don't seem to resonate uh, this time as the Bills discuss the stadium. Is it because the Bills are good? I don't know. I think the Bills are successful, even off the field, successful than they ever have been. And and the fact that it's uh, what the second smallest market in the NFL has less relevance now than it ever has. What do you think? No, and I referenced the Jerry Jones discussion, you know, a little bit too. Yeah. He came up basically and said how you know Toronto is a very important part of the NFL. And, and I read into that a little bit because that obviously that's a red flag for any Buffalo native that, uh, that sees that, you know, a, a person like that saying that, but he was saying it in reference to the Buffalo bills and that Toronto had is in proximity, that Hamilton's in proximity, that Rochester's in proximity. Buffalo is a very important market. So I, I don't, I don't believe that the ownerships view Buffalo as a small market, John. I really don't. I don't, I don't think they ever have because of what you're saying. They've always filled the stands. There's always been a huge viral following to this community, even before viral was viral. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah. like the West coast teams knew about Buffalo because of their fan base, because players would talk about it because teams would talk about it. So I do think there's something to that. And I, and I do think that is important to how this stadium is being modeled because you don't want to mess with success in that regard, because it is, you know, we talked about how it may be hard for some stadiums to fill seats soon with gambling, with other avenues, with, you know, more sports markets building up. That's not going to be a problem in Buffalo if they don't mess with it too much. So I do think that that the big owners in the league understand what's working in Buffalo, and they're not going to try to, to you know add too many new ingredients to that brew right now. Interesting stuff. It always is, Mike. We thank you for your time today and encourage uh, listeners to check out your website, spottrack.com, S-P-O-T-R-A-C.com. You're on Twitter. You do a twice-weekly podcast also, right? What do you deal with on the podcast? Oh, all over the place. You know, generally what's timely in terms of finances, right? So there's always an off season. There's always an in season with a lot of these sports. We're covering all the sports right now. We're even into golf and some, some motor sports. F1's big right now. We're trying to get your dabble into that a little bit. So we're, uh, we're seasonal all the time. So there's always something new to talk about. Mike, thanks very much. My pleasure. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with your host, John Murphy. The Sullivan's Pro Football Podcast continues. Our next guest has been with us before. He is co-owner of the chain of Winking Lizard Tavern, 17 of them throughout the state of Ohio. John Lane is a co-owner. John, thanks very much for coming on with us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I want to talk about staffing and, and personnel issues in, in the restaurant business. And I came across a quote attributed to you. Uh, at one point, you said, we're not really in the craft beer or restaurant business we're in the people business. And I assume that refers not just to your customers, but to your employees as well. Yeah. Um, mostly our employees, right? You don't, we're not, we can, we can add some technology and take some load off of, of like our management staff and even make it a little more efficient for our, our, our servers and our bartenders. But at the, at the end of the day, you still have to have someone to cook that burger, right. Yeah. And to, to make that pizza. So we don't have robots or automation to do that yet. At the onset of uh, COVID. And I know we talked to you about this a year ago, but about a year and a half ago, you were forced to lay off about 1,100 employees. How many have come back and where are you now? Yeah, we actually laid off 1,245 employees wow. to be exact. And we're we're just over 1,000 right now. 
Uh, we did close one of our downtown stores about a month ago. Um, we just don't. Uh, or we just don't see we've got two downtown Cleveland we don't see the city coming back as fast and actually we needed those 39 employees to go to other locations where we you know actually business is very very good it's just that we can't wait on them quick enough and we can't get food to them quick enough so we're, st we're still short on any one given day between uh, probably 125 and 175 employees. So you're short. There's a labor shortage at your 17 winking lizard taverns, but it's not just you, right? It's a kind of an industry. It's not just an Ohio phenomenon, right? Now, it's not It's not even just our industry, right? I mean, you know, they're releasing that they need 80,000 truck drivers. It's, it's across all, you know, it, it's the skilled trades. It's there's not a business owner that I don't that I know that doesn't need it. I mean, we're we're still operating seven days a week and we're blessed by that because I know a lot of my compadres are having to close on Mondays or Tuesdays or I mean, even even the Starbucks, all the Starbucks in town, you almost have to get online and look and see if they're open or not, because it's it's a crapshoot. So it's it's brutal out there right now. These employees, your 1,200 who were laid off around the country, they all got unemployment benefits, I would think, many of them. And many, many of those benefits have run out. So where are the workers? Shouldn't they be back to work or at least looking to come back to work? Yeah, I think, I think there's a combination of things, right? I think, um, A, um, you know, our industry predominantly in, in the front of the house is, is made up of a, a lot of a lot of females, right? And we've got a lot of uh, moms out there. And I think um, what's happened is, um, yes, there are no more unemployment benefits, but they're looking at dad and saying, dad, why don't you just stay at work? Because we can't afford to send them to daycare or daycares aren't open like they used to be as late as they are because they're suffering the same thing, right? They, they don't have the employees. So you have that going on. Um, you have this back to work or this uh, work at home phenomenon. And so I think we've had a lot of people try to get jobs where they can work on their computer and stay at home again uh, because, because of the childcare situation. And then, um, you know, the baby boomers, I'm the last of the baby boomers, 1960. And I know a lot of my guys that I went to high school with, they, they didn't all go to college like every kid seems to go to college now they didn't go they 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 became a truck driver or they worked in a manufacturing facility or they got into the skilled trades and uh it's it's just been reported last week that we've got twice as uh, as many retirements in the past year than we've ever had um and so i think it's it's just a combination of all those things to hear you explain those factors it's good for me because you know we see it we notice it my wife and i I guess, uh, and not giving it much thought, think, well, people are lazy now or people don't want to work, but that it's really not the case. These are practical reasons why there's a labor shortage, right? Yeah, I think, I think for the most part, I think, you know, I think that fallacy of people just don't want to work well, they just don't want to work maybe in certain areas. Yeah. You know, this has been a good opportunity for people. You know, um, we got back the core group of people that that work for us, the ones that have been long-termers, they they all came back. It's that 
underlying that 10% or so 15% of workforce that, that you turn and burn anyway, that you know what, they've decided to go to get into other industries, you know, a lot of nine to five, they don't want to work the nights and the weekends. I get it. It's not, you know, especially in our industry. But I'll tell you, I, I do know a lot of manufacturing facilities and even UPS, FedEx, all those guys, they're looking for workers at night and that second and third shift, and they can't find them either. So um, we're in a just kind of a tough spot right now. I, I would ask you, I'm tempted to ask you, how do we fix it? How do you get out of it? But the way you describe it, it's more than a winking lizard issue or, or problem. It's more than a restaurant industry problem, right? I mean, we could be in for a major recalibration of, of the American workforce. Maybe that's what we're in the middle of right now. Yeah, I think so. I, I think that, um, you know, um, this technology just sped up so much faster in the last year, and it has created different opportunities for people. Um, I know that, you know, Amazon just right before the shutdown, they opened a, a warehouse right next to our original store and they're employing a thousand people. Where where those thousand people come from? They just announced down in Canton, Ohio, where we have two restaurants they are putting a warehouse down there and they want to hire a thousand people. So there, there is, there is this big shift. So I think all we can do and what we tell our team is, you know what, we're a good company. We've been around since 1983. We have to be the best restaurant company out there to attract those that still want to be in the industry. And uh, I don't see any other way out of this uh, in the near future. John uh, Lane is co-owner of the Winking Lizard uh, Tavern, 17 of them in the state of Ohio. Going strong despite the labor shortages and, and your beer menu has changed up a little bit as well, right? Tell us what you've got going on there. Yeah, um, I, I change it up every year on January 1st. We've got this thing called the Tour of Beers where after 50 beers, you get a prize. And after 100 beers, you get this you get this jacket, which is really, really cool. And then even after 150 beers, you get like a hoodie or something like that. And huh. um, we change it up everywhere on January 1st. But I have a meeting every year in October and I invite breweries and our distributor network in and we have people all over from all over we had people in from california and colorado michigan new york all over the place to my meeting and then i roll out what we're going to do next year but that's a whole that's like i'm already starting i'll start in december and i start planning for the following year so it's like a I wish it was my only job. It's not my <laughs> only job, but it's a big portion of what I do. So I'll be tasting and trying and listening to breweries and, and um, you know, trying to move the program forward. Yeah, you're, you're a great promoter. In fact, you know, co-owner of the Winking Lizard Taverns. You and Winking Lizard, you, you're not a brewer. You don't brew beer, but well, I don't know too many people who promote brewing, uh, craft brewing in particular, as, as much as you and Winking Lizards, huh? Yeah, we, we've got kind of a, a national and an international reputation. So um, until the last two years, I've, I'm starting to uh, jones a little bit. I got to get back to Europe. I haven't been to Europe in a couple of years, but I've been knighted in Belgium. So I, you know, I cut my teeth over there and, and, and that's where beer, you know, in the old countries, that's where it really started. So and I've been, a, I'm a grandfather at home and I'm a grandfather in the industry a little bit, but I, <laughs> you know, I, I love the passionate part of what these breweries and a lot of these family run breweries and even in the United States, how it's just really taken off. It's pretty cool. 
John, thanks for this, and uh, good luck with dealing with your jonesing for uh, travel again. And good luck <laughs> to Winking Lizards. I know there are good times ahead for the Winking Lizard chain in, in the state of Ohio. Yeah, you got to come on down, John. Let me treat you with a couple of beers and some wings. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with John Murphy. Well, that's going to do it for this week's installment of Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. I'm John Murphy. Thanks for tuning in. I want to thank our guests, including the guy you just heard, John Lane, who is co-owner of Winking Lizard Taverns. There's more than a dozen of them all over Ohio, the state of Ohio. Some interesting thoughts on uh, restaurant staffing and bar and tavern staffing in the COVID area, maybe the post-COVID era. Who knows, right? Also, our thanks to our earlier guest, Mike Janitti the co-founder and the editor of SpotTrack.com, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, an invaluable resource for those of us who cover sports, especially the NFL, but they cover everything. They cover the NFL business, they cover the NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, and other sports as well. Mike Giannitti, Orchard Park resident, the co-founder of SpotTrack, SpotTrack.com. We're brought to you by Sullivan's Pro, we're brought to you by Sullivan's Brewery, rather, from Kilkenny, Ireland, the makers of Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, and Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. Look for it in stores and taverns all over the East. We're all over upstate New York, in Buffalo, in New York City, in New England, uh, Long Island, uh, recently introduced in Massachusetts, obviously, in Ohio, where Winking Lizard Taverns are. We're in uh, portions of Pennsylvania. We're down south. Uh, Sullivan's Brewery, the makers of Sullivan's uh, Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, and Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. Our thanks to our producer, Pat Felbaugh. We'll see you right here next time on another edition of Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. You've been listening to John Murphy and Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's all about the Bills and the Beards.